welcome to the Top Order Podcast. So a number of our recent guests started their cricketing journey as pace bowlers, but then turned into these nasty little off spinners that Lippy keeps booking for the podcast. But for them, it didn't necessarily pan out um, as seam bowlers. Today, we speak to someone who not only stuck with it, but who has become one of the quickest bowlers New Zealand has ever produced, regularly breaking 150 clicks. With one test, eight T20s and 37 ODIs under his belt, including an outstanding 2019 World Cup, which saw him named in the ICC's team of the tournament. Lockie Ferguson, welcome to the Top Order podcast. Hey, cheers, guys. What a tie I appreciate it. I feel good on a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the that's the plan is you know, get the endorphins going before we <laughs> kick off with our uh, yeah our sort of uh, silly questions. But look, we wanted to start off, I think, talking about your um, IT um, background and this Machine Road app. So really, yeah, really, really keen to talk about the cricket on the field a little bit later on. But before we do, it caught our eye the other day to see that you and your brother have developed an app that allows people to test their speeds in the nets. So tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, so um, it's been in development. Uh, she's coming up on about 18 months of actually building the, the software out. Uh, my brother, a very, very good sportsman. I've spoken a lot about him through newspapers and stuff, but uh, he's a very good sportsman. He was a very, very quick bowler. It was actually a little bit to do with the start of my career, which is interesting, but um, perhaps a story for another time. But anyway, he, he works in IT some pretty new age sort of technology, uh, artificial intelligence, augmented reality, virtual reality. And uh, he was talking to a developer that he knew through his industry and sort of was chatting to him over a few beers, I think, and said, is it possible to create um, more or less a speed gun on a mobile app so that everyday users can go down to the net? Speed, measure their ball trajectory, get a pitch map, that kind of stuff. And that was 18 months ago. And... Um, yeah, certainly in the last month or so, it's really started to ramp up and we're, we're more or less just refining it, getting it as exact as possible before we release it. Um, so we've had a few beta testers. We've had about 300 people in New Zealand. Um, I think there's maybe 30 or 40 spread out in the UK and Aussie who have also been testing it for us, just getting us feedback. Um, but yeah, pretty exciting because I think for a lot of the people we've been showing, it's just sort of pretty amazing firstly at the speed but then to see themselves in slow motion and see the ball trajectory and see you know how the action looks how the ball comes out um and then of course we can show them a pitch map at the end so that's sort of the tip of the iceberg of where we're looking to go with it but at the same time i reckon it's pretty epic so i'm pretty stoked about it <laughs> yeah it sounds absolutely awesome i know when i was doing some coaching when i was a, a young lad we used to have some very rudimentary speed guns and um, i always used to flip <laughs> flick over from MPH to KPH because I grew up in the UK and you'd kind of yeah, run in yeah. and bot you'd bowl on about 60 yeah 60 mile an hour and it'd come out in KPH but you didn't have the little thing on there so the kids would think it was going really really quickly um, <laughs> 90 miles yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, were, were any of your testers disappointed when they saw their actual speeds compared with how quick they thought they might bowl her? we have been having a lot of jokes about the old uh, weekend wounders as we call them and I'm sure they won't be ashamed to be called that but the sort of weekend cricketers who often are found at the pub sort of talking about how quick they are and, um, you know, commenting on international stars and saying, you know, they don't bowl that quick. We probably bowl the same speed. So I think we might put a few of those conversations to bed a little bit, but at the same time, it's pretty awesome um, if they can find out how quick they bowl. And 
and without losing the, the Luddites on the call, we do have a couple of IT techies in the Top Order podcast team. Tell us a little bit about how, it actually, how, how, how does it actually work, the, the app? So we're using a range of, a little bit technical, using Python models to pick up the ball. Uh, so the, the key for us is that it is uh, ideally a fluorescent ball, orange or pink. It's, it was a lot tougher to train the models to trace, or to track, sorry, the ball. When it was white, there's just too much other white in the, in the picture. So essentially it just tracks it, uh, and then we've, we've, our models, we've worked out the bounce point, uh, which is key, of course, to finding pitch map, and then we pace back the speed. Uh, and the more and more we refine it, the more closely we'll get it back out of the hand. Um, but the actual speed drop off from release of hand to pitches is pretty minimal. And, and what we've sort of worked out is through speed radars, of course, they're not 100% either. We're sort of running it about, I think, Around about 90% accuracy. So there is a bit of give, of course, there. Um, but our, our goal at the end of the day is to get it, is to get it perfect. Um, but it's a long, it's a long process. And the, for the slower, slower bowlers, sort of 115, 120, we've been getting really good results. But, um, I've been pumping out some speeds on it. Um, so we are still refining those. But, you know, I just had a call actually literally before you guys tonight. Um, and we've got some, uh, new tactics to try and get it as accurate as possible. Well, that sounds fantastic. All of that technical talk is music to my ears. But, I mean, the speed feature is, is great for settling the, the old club room debate, but there's a lot of other benefits that a, a cricket or a club or a promising bowler can get out of the app to analyse their game and to get things like that pitch map that you talked about. So can you tell us about how you're sort of looking towards the future and, and bringing other features into the app? Yeah, well, it's funny you say that. I think that one of the main drivers, Mitch, um, and I was sort of talking about early on was uh, certainly when I was into international cricket, I was quite overwhelmed with scouting and scouting other batters and trying to work out, you know, where's their weakness. And for every batter, I've got to try to come up with a ploy for the weaknesses. And, and, and then once again, that would change depending on the country because, of course, cricket conditions are so dependent on where you are in the world. The scouting report that I have on batters in New Zealand could be completely different to in India. So I really got muddled up in the early on in my career trying to scout every batter and trying to work out a weakness. And I ended up just sort of bowling to these guys and all I was thinking about how, was how good they were rather than sort of their weaknesses. So either way, my flow would be to build out my strength, what I do well, what I've done well to this point, what's worked for me in the past, uh, and then when I went to those scouting meetings, I would sort of use what my strengths were and try to work out, okay, is this a leg side player? Is he an offside player? Does he play the short ball well early? If he does get a bounce early, how does he react? And sort of map my game plan to that better, and then that made it much clearer for me. So once again, we took that kind of knowledge and my experience and, and what I'd learned in that area, and we're trying to map it out into a, a, an app that, Players can now, instead of just focusing on the batter, which is so hard to do in cricket because, as I said, it changes every time, it's actually going, okay, well, I, I want to work on, you know, round wicket bumpers and I want to make sure the microsy is good here. Well, with that, we can actually, you know, provide those kind of results and show you how accurate you are. And, you know, we're, we're looking out as we develop further to produce sort of uh, report cards and things like that that you can actually get real-time feedback from your session that day. And that's what everyday users. Um, and then... That's where I sort of see 
the strengths that I have sort of created in the last few years and how I've improved and sort of trying to pass that on to, you know, any other one, any other bowlers going to nasty fast, you know, little seamless, um, you know, just trying to pass that knowledge on. I'll only ask two more questions, so I'll, I'll keep it to a minimum because I could talk all day about this stuff. But um, can sure. you use it in, into wicket as well, or is it just something that you can use in the nets at the moment? Yes. Oh, look, I, I'll be honest. The, um, it's kind of one of those things where we're like, geez, this could like really, it could do it all. But I think with 5G that's coming out, that's going to be super exciting for us as a platform and, of course, technology in general. So I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with 5G and, and how that's going to roll out. But just quickly, in terms of speed, 4G sort of uh, to download a, a movie uh, is about two to three minutes in high def. Uh, and then 5K, uh, sorry, 5G, so it was about uh, a second or two. So just speed-wise, it's a lot quicker. But that can open doors with streaming. You can overlay uh, AI over the streaming and get analytics that way. I mean, the, the possibilities are pretty open. Um, but I think that's a fantastic sort of position we're in, is that we're trying to sort of stay on the cutting edge of technology, um, but also put it in a way that, you know, everyone can use it. It's fun. They can get what they want from the app. But I think certainly in the next six, sort of six to eighteen months, it's going to be pretty exciting in terms of technology and how we. Can do it. I think a big part of our business model is that we are trying to talk to our customers as much as possible because certainly I have my ideas of what I want to do, but um, I'm sure some of the young kids and uh, our weekend windows and, and the like and uh, would have a lot to say. And actually, we were with um, the Parnell Plums, which is our uh, the Parnell Women's Team. Uh, earlier last week, just before lockdown, and um, it was awesome to hear their thoughts about, you know, how they use it as well. We're just trying to get as much feedback as possible. Hey, that's awesome, awesome, Lockie. Um, I, I will interrupt Baldy there, and and we'll we'll move on to sort of your career because, uh, yeah, like he's not joking that he could talk about this for for hours and hours and hours. But I mean, on fast bowling, I mean, you were someone um who was fast at a young age. It seems you um. Jimmy Nation beat you in the, the national fast bowling comp at 16 and, and clocking over 130Ks. I mean, you guys both went to the same school, right? God, every, every interview, uh, you guys ask the same question about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, I, I the reason like, I yeah, asked I that... I like, <laughs> the reason I asked that is what happened to Jimmy's pace? Well, he, he focused on his game, of course. He's still got his <laughs> pace. He, he, can, he can still bowl quick, but, um, you know, he's got two jobs, of course, so... Um, yeah, he doesn't want to burn out completely. Um, but yeah, yeah. Jeez, every interview, honestly, they bring up that that fabled fast bowling competition. It's pretty hilarious. But I I remember it vividly. Yeah, they they used to do that, right? At the, it was in, it was quite often they did that in the middle of a test match or something, did they? Yeah, well, I think I feel like we were the last one. Oh yeah, okay. Um, they uh, so it was a few years back. But um, obviously, I want to bring it back. Um, as soon as possible, hopefully yeah. machine road. So, um, but no, it was awesome. I remember that was my sort of first experience of uh, bowling in front of the crowd. We had a net set up on the field because at the basin they've got the, the net, nets on the side of the field, and we had a crowd around the whole run up, around the whole net. It was unbelievable. Um, awesome. So it was, it was pretty epic. And uh, Ben Wheeler was there, Devin Small. Oh yeah. Um, Darren Gray, yeah, there's a few nasty passes that sort of made it to first class. Yeah, nice. 
And but I mean, um, so I mean, just thinking about when I first moved up to Auckland, and um, you know, in those club cricket days, I mean, definitely everyone talked about your pace. But people would sort of say, like, if if we could get through the first few overs, you'd kind of lose a lot of your effectiveness. Was that something you were aware of? Well, I was pretty chubby back then. <laughs> yeah, I was having a few too many chocolate bars probably at night. But um, yeah, that's probably pretty fair. Admittedly, cricket, um, I took it pretty seriously at school. Yeah. And then there was a sort of a lull, a lull when I went to university. And um, I was still very, you know, very motivated to play and, and train, but probably not as professional as I could be at that age. But, you know, that's off the learning curve that you go on. Uh, but yeah, certainly mm. it was the hardest part of going to, to professional cricket was just stacking it up every day and being able to bowl day in, day out, 35, 40 overs a week, including training. So, you know, that took a lot of learning and a lot of work and a lot of physical sort of work. And and was that was that the main part, the physical side of things, or were there like technical changes that you had to kind of make to your game as well? Yeah, so I certainly tightened up my action throughout those sort of college years, university years. Um, just to make Andre was Andre Adams. I, I think I've spoken about him before quite a lot, obviously, but he tightened me up and just made sure that all my body weight, all my energy was going through the off stump. I tended to have a sort of fall off to the left as a lot of quick do, trying to rip it down. And uh, once we sort of organised myself, getting all my mass to go towards off stump and all my energy going that way, I found my accuracy became a lot better. Um, and then my pace actually increased from that stage. And then I did a lot of work in the gym. I was just getting niggles, as you do as a young player, you know, you get your hammy, groin, um, glutes, uh, around the back area. It just, you sort of get niggles day in, day out because your body's not really used to, um, that kind of work. Um, and it takes time. And, and that's why I'm such a huge believer in bowling loads now. Mm. And I mean, you know, you talked about injuries. Have you ever had to like tone it down in a club game so you didn't injure the, the batters? Someone like me that's facing at the other end of number 11? <laughs> I always tone it down to you, mate. Yeah, <laughs> I was always very kind, very kind to the bottom end. Nah, um, <laughs> I, I must admit there are a few times where I have been coming back from injuries and I've been going off a half run and then, you know, you, you just try to bowl like a nice length and the guy punches through covers. And they're like, oh, I like bugger this kind of thing. I'll just get him bumper, put deep square out and see if he can take it off. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, I'm a bit over-competitive like that. But, um, but yeah, got to love club cricket. Yeah. And, I mean, take us through what it's like as a, as a fast bowler. What's it like in your head when someone starts to back away, even even just a little bit? You, you must love that. Yeah, it, it's... Um, you do. you do. You do in a lot of different ways, but I think as I've gone through the levels, it's become, um, I guess, the fear more about the success, like trying to get the wicket, and whether that's, I don't know, maturity or anything, but uh, earlier on, I just wanted to strike fear in people and, and hurt them, and I wouldn't even take the wicket on. I'd try hold on their ribs and pin them and, and chirp them, and I wouldn't care if I got wickets that day. And then, you know, as it becomes your job, you sort of you get critiqued on taking wickets, so mm. um, certainly when people are back, way back, once you get to international, you know, guys are used to playing 140, 145 and uh, become sort of normal, so that was another learning curve where, you know, you can't just blast out people uh, at all. Um, even 8, 9, sometimes 10, number 10 better, 
It doesn't mm. happen either, so you've got to build your other skills, of course. And, I mean, is, is pace something that you kind of take note of during an international game? We, we talked to Shane Bond a while ago, and he was saying it was a, a massive buzz when he first saw 150 come up on the on the big screen. Oh, well, like, I certainly remember my debut, that Jason Dover. Um, my first <laughs> over, yeah, just like, and if Aussie, of course, I, you know, the speed comes up on the scoreboard and they put flames around it and all sorts happen. And you're like, gee, this is pretty epic. Um, but we all sort of know how that ended with me not even finishing my my 10 sets. So what you said earlier was obviously pretty true. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, like it's, it's awesome. I think um, it's sort of when you've been there, done that, you know you're, you're quickest. Then um, you think about it less when you're playing. When I was early on in my career, before New Zealand, I was probably trying to check the pace a bit more. I still work it. I actually saw a cool quote from uh, Mitchell Stark the other day that said he's chucked on, I think, five kgs of weight. Um, he's been working on his pace and he wants to try to beat his fastest ball for the year, which is, I think, 160.4. So Jeez, even awesome. the likes of him, who he's been playing, you know, however many years, he still has the hunger to bowl quick. And mm. I think, um, you know, although it's um, nice to not play against him sometimes, it's cool to hear um, him talk like that. And and have you um, was there a moment at international level when you sort of went right? You know, I really belong here now. Nah, if I'm honest, I think <laughs> um, I'm still trying to find my feet a lot, a lot of different ways. I uh, I think perhaps the World Cup, I, I was fortunate and I got a lot of luck and um, off the back of some really nice styling from the rest of our group. And yeah, it's nice to perform at a big tournament like that and. Especially for us to go so far, um, you know that's one of the more epic things I've ever been a part of. Um, but no, I, I still, you know, bowled now since I think it was March, and even then I was sort of coming back from injuries, and so heading away soon. I'm sort of a little bit nervy, just keen to get some game time, warm up games, and but but yeah, yeah, I sort of I don't know if I'll ever feel like I 100% belong, but keep working away and trying to do as best you can. You talked a little bit about those injuries and look, I guess particularly it must have been really gutting that injury in Australia. How much is it something that plays on the mind of a fast bowler? Is it something that you're thinking about constantly in the build-up? Are you, you know, how do you actually manage that, you know, ability to bowl really, really quickly, get the right kind of quality training in it, but also know that there's a lot of strain going into your body? Yeah, look, injuries for me, uh, are terrible times even more so sometimes when you're away with a bigger team because you have a hotel room to yourself and all you have is time to sit there and think about it and think about the prep you had leading up and you know did I do enough you know did I was I professional enough did I do the stretching did I get the rehab done all those thoughts come through your mind and you keep beating yourself beating yourself up, uh, yourself up about it and so it's rough and yeah of course the Aussie trip to me was one of the roughest because test cricket's what I want to play uh, and I guess where I see myself getting challenged the most. But at the same time, it, you know, you get hung up on that and you know that, that you need to work hard again. I've always prided myself on doing work when others aren't looking or watching um, and fitness and conditioning and, and the strength work I do allows me to stay on the park for longer and be able to bowl speeds I do, I guess. 
and for long periods of time and, and that's the key is sort of doing it day in day out I don't want to be a fast bowler who just comes in for a couple of weeks and then um, blows the tyre I want to sort of be able to be consistently um, playing games but having said that I also to have a build up and play games and have those overs under your belt for four or five months you know you have a lot of trust in your body because your body's been doing it for that amount of time and um, once again bowling loads becomes very important but just playing games, you get more trust in your body and, and you sort of don't really think about breaking down. If it happens, you know, you just have to deal with it then. And have you made any big lifestyle changes as well as the changes to your action or your approach to the wicket? You hear of, you know, the Peter Siddle vegan scenario. I think Andre Russell as well does quite a lot of that sort of, um, you know, real diet management as well. Is that something you've had to approach yourself? Uh, good question. I, I, as all sportsmen, I'm sure we'll admit to, we've all tried different things at different times, but the, I keep coming back to just the balanced diet. I've always been, well, I've always certainly felt that I was on, I guess, a chubbier side growing up through the ages, and I was just forever told that. Um, so I guess I'm always constantly thinking about it, but um, you sort of go through different phases, but at the end of the day, the more conversations I've had with other people, it's just about having a balanced diet and um, you can't really negate the fact that if you burn more calories than you eat, you tend to lose weight. Um, it's almost as simple as that. And if, you, and if you're getting the right nutrition from that, then that seems to work. But yeah, as I, I guess I grow older, I just sort of try to keep things as consistent as possible. Hydration has probably been the, the biggest one for me. And, um, you know, that was a learning that I had in my debut ODI. <laughs> So, yeah, it's just a, it's a constant learning process. But I still think that to, to bowl quick, you look at any of the quick bowlers in the world, the Aussies, the English bowlers, they're all bloody fit guys. So to do that job, you've got to be one of the fittest in the team. You touched upon those England bowlers there. Joffre Archer in particular has been getting a little bit of stick recently about potentially the way that he's used at test level. So those kind of short bursts or whether they're kind of long spells at reduced um, pace. How easy is it to just kind of switch it on and all of a sudden bowl 150 clicks? And, you know, what do you what do you say about the sort of criticisms being levelled at him recently? Uh, oh, look, I certainly won't comment on um, the English tactics, but um, just having played in England, obviously bowling out and out pace, because it swings so much there and the Dukes tend to nip a little bit more um, it's probably not always 100% required to bowl out and out pace, whereas you go to an Aussie or even in New Zealand where it tends to be slightly flatter here, you know, the pace becomes your sort of X factor uh, rather than the swing, swing or the seam. So I guess it's sort of horses for courses. And, you know, I was always a huge fan of uh, Mitchell Johnson and his massive comeback and how he was used in his short spells. And, and that was obviously an Aussie, but. Um, you know, coming in for four overs going quick and creating a lot of havoc really um, and he was super successful and obviously a pleasure to watch but yeah I, I think it's different um, that's sort of a team tactic and if you have bowlers outside of your big three who can bowl overs you know an all-rounder who can bowl from one end and hold up an end then it gives the ability for you to have those short spells and, and sort of roll through your big three quicks uh, on the shorter spells, but if you don't, or, or a spinner, sorry, um, but if you don't, then, you know, it's just the team makeup, um, so every team's different, but fortunately, Joffre can sort of do it all, can't he? He's a pretty exceptional bowler. 
yeah look um certainly as a as an englishman with a you know an affinity to barbados i'm, I'm really happy that he's in our side that's uh, that's for sure <laughs> look, f- final one from me i guess um how hard was it for you watching someone else come into that black cap side during the summer the way carl jameson did against india and, and kind of taking that chance and i guess the second component of that is is that mentality different do you think for a quick bowler than it is for a batter. Batters often get, you know, a couple of series to kind of cement their place. Whereas bowlers, do you always know that you're going to get that kind of rotation and you're going to get your chance a bit more quickly potentially? Well, Keller's actually, Carl, he's a very good friend of mine. So I was stoked that he did so well because he's, you know, he's worked hard. Um, another grammar boy, that's the high school I went to. So it's always nice to see another grammar international, but, um, he's a lad who's worked very hard and, you know, he's super professional and, and he, I love how he trains. He turns up to training. He has a purpose. He has hunger. He gets in the fight at training and you can tell he's going to have a huge career because, um, he's so competitive at training and, and he's constantly trying to become better. And I, I think personally, from a New Zealand point of view, I think this is, um, an epic time to be part of the Black Caps squad because we have so much talent, especially in the bowling attack. Um, and I think when you get a group of guys who are constantly trying to get better and, who are, you know, we're all looking over our shoulder a little bit because there are guys a bit younger or there's a lot of guys sort of um, hanging around who are professional bowlers. So that's only going to drive more competition at training. It's only going to drive us to become better bowlers. It's only going to drive us to talk with each other, try to develop our skills, talk about tactics and become better. And in my opinion, the group will get much, much better. And I think for the sort of 12 months that I've been a part of it, 18, two years, um, that's exactly what's happened. And, you know, I'm sure we definitely can pin back with Carl and how he's come in and shown how quality he is. So I think it's fantastic. Oh, well, lucky. Yeah, as a, as a Black Caps fan, I think you're, you're spot on. And that, um, it's awesome to see all the depth and the, and the pace bowling at the moment. It's, it's, yeah, it's brilliant. Mm. But um, just sort of moving back to the, the limited overs stuff, I mean, you've got the, the IPL coming up. For KKR, has this latest outbreak in New Zealand kind of disrupted anything for you on that front? Nah, nah. It's um, yeah, we're sort of heading heading off early September. Got a bit of uh, commercial sort of requirements under the Black Cats before we head off uh, with our major sponsors and stuff, which is great. So we'll sort of head off uh, early September and hopefully have about two two weeks or so build up. I'm sure we'll have to do some sort of quarantine as we get there. But yeah, so I've been keeping my mask on for sure. And the last thing you want to do is, is catch anything. But um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I've been staying staying under wraps. A little bit frustrating that um, the Black Caps camp this coming week, and I couldn't get down and bowl on grass down there. But you know, we've been having great prep. We've been pretty fortunate in New Zealand to be able to travel around and train. And I've been going down to Mount uh, Wanganui sort of every week for the last month or so. So. Um, you've got to kind of bank that training and, and think you've done a lot of work there. And, you know, a couple of weeks of um, potentially bowling on an outfield and stuff, not going to be the end of the world. Um, and then, yeah, as I said, once we get there, hopefully have a few warm-up games and get a bit of the, the rust out, as they say, and then we're into it. And, and um, I mean, you touched on a little bit there, but, but can you touch on some of the logistics of actually getting there to the UAE and the protocols and stuff need to clear? I mean, we we spoke with um, Nick Kelly last week over um, in Trinidad and it sounded like he had to go sort of all over the place, uh, a real long haul to get there and 
he, he said um, definitely make sure you bring your PlayStation and, and plenty of movies for the quarantine. He was getting pretty bored in the in the um, week that he had to spend in the hotel room. Yeah, man, um, Cal's a good buddy of mine. He, um, I vouched for him that he was going to CPR while he's that he's at CPR. Um, but yeah, I was speaking to him. I was actually hanging out with him the weekend before he left and uh, oh, nice. prepared. And then next thing I saw, I saw him and Spark put up videos of them running 3K in the hotel room. <laughs> <And laughs> One end to the other, and I was like, Jesus, man, just relax. <laughs> One week's not going to change too much. Um, but yeah, I think we're about the same thing. I think um, unless things change between today and when we go, it's about a week of quarantine. We've got to get tested before we go and get tested on arrival, and I assume we'll get tested sort of reasonably regularly um, throughout those first few weeks. But as far as I know, when we get there, it's pretty much a, a sort of Hard bubble, as they say, where we'll probably have a certain part of the hotel where it'll just be for the team, uh, and then you go to the gym, hopefully there, and then uh, more or less stick to the hotel except for game time. So certainly an interesting experience because it's been so free and New Zealand, which has been fantastic. But at the same time, it's going to be a pretty awesome tournament. Yeah, I mean, you might have just answered it with that last comment, but did you have any second thoughts about going? Geez, I'm a bit of a just um, roll with things. I don't really give it too much thought. I mean, as you, naturally, you're always going to give thought, and um, you know, mum and dad send you the articles about you know all the things to watch out for and how dangerous it can be. But I have a huge amount of faith in our medical practitioners within New Zealand, um, and of course, with a competition like the IPL, um, you have to think that every precaution has been taken care of because the tournament is massive, and they wouldn't want to risk the safety or the health of players or anyone involved because A, it's not good for the tournament and B, um, it would shut the tournament down. So I've got a huge amount of faith that, um, you know, we'll be covered off in, in that sort of regard. And I'll be wearing my mask. I'll be sure to wash my hands consistently throughout the flight. And I'm sure everything will be all good. <laughs> nice one. Hey, given how involved fans are in the IPL, What's that experience going to be like for you? Does that make it harder to get up for a, for a game knowing that there's going to be no crowds or does that fandom add additional pressure as an overseas player? How do you handle it? Great question. I've actually probably given that more thought um, than your previous question. But um, I think that certainly when I was there last year at Eden Gardens, Kolkata, that we had a sellout crowd um, every game and it was unbelievable and Indian fans are fans of cricket they just love anything that happens with cricket anytime even when you're running around to the lads and you look at the crowd and wave to them they go absolutely deserve so that kind of energy just stays throughout the game and, and it's certainly exciting when things are going well and it can be tough when you're under the pump so I think for the tournament in general it, it's going to be interesting for um, a lot of players because it's just a, a different vibe we had that one wonder against Aussie at Sydney where there was no one in the crowd and, uh, it just sort of feels like a like a warm up game in, in a weird way because it's so quiet all you can really hear is your change room sort of clapping and um, of course there's no one around so not really sure exactly what it's going to be like but um, but I'm just happy that I've, I've played there before played at Dubai and Abu Dhabi um, not Shaza yet but um, you know, those those kind of when you've played there before and sort of get a bit of an idea of what the ground's like and, and what the conditions are like, so it takes a little bit of the pressure away. 
And how does that atmosphere at the IPL compare to a big game at, say, Lords or, or Sydney or something like that? How does it compare to those big crowds in, in other venues internationally? So, for instance, the, the final, of course, of, of England, the crowd was, except for one fantastic corner of Kiwi, um, was obviously very English-dominated. And so when things are going our way, the crowd was very quiet, didn't share much. When things were going the English way, then, of course, the crowd erupted. When we played with Kolkata, the crowd erupted for everything. So like, it almost didn't matter if we were scoring runs or if we were losing wickets. The crowd was just cheering. Um, and especially, and I know just put out his retirement today, but especially when Emmy Stoney came to town and he played, they were like cheering probably him more than our team. So you can just see the passion with the fans there that, you know, the, the electricity was just constant throughout the whole game. And you do, you do almost get a little bit used to it, um, because it's just so constant. But, um, but you, you can't hear yourself think, um, there's no point that anyone in the field tries to talk to you from a distance because you can't hear them. It's just congested, um, but pretty awesome, certainly pretty awesome. We've spoken to a few coaches actually on the pod that have been to the IPL. How does having access to that elite coaching or other elite players for those six to eight weeks impact you as a, as a fast bowler? Oh, yeah. I, I think you've probably hit the nail on the head. I, I see the IPL as a, a pretty amazing learning space because you are surrounded with pretty much all the greats of the game, right? Like every game you play, you're shaking the hand of some, you know, one international great of the game, a legend of the game. And even if you can ask him one question or two questions, or he sometimes might see something you're doing and ask a question. And I think where else in the world do you get that kind of connectivity between him and past players? And, you know, I've got Pat Cummins, of course, and, and my team this year. And, um, that guy's a ridiculous bowler. And, There'll be plenty, I'm sure, to learn off him. But even the simple things like day to day, how does that guy roll? You know, what does he eat for breakfast? I won't be writing notes or anything, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, what he does, what he does at the gym, how much stretching he does, what does he do for team before matches, how nervous does he get? All these kind of learnings you pick up. And one of the cool things I've really found, and I learned that the first time with Pune, is that you sort of sit next to all these greats of the game. You know, I had Fafter to see, I had Steve Smith on my team. Had Adam Zampa, all these guys, Ben Stokes, of course, was in my team that first year. And I sort of sat in the change room and was like, geez, these guys are like pretty much the best in the world. But outside of the game, they were just regular blokes, you know, who had the same conversations, who had the same problems with traveling, had the same problems, you know, as we all do. So I think all that in general, just you just learn so much at a competition like that. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be awesome to see you and Pat Cummins bowling in tandem. I hope that it happens during the tournament. Um, sounds like he might miss the, the start of the tournament, perhaps with that Aussie scheduling. But I hope you guys both get on the park at the same time. That's going to be that's going to be fantastic to watch. Um, just on the on the auction though, what did that feel like for you as a as a young guy? Um, you know, trying to make your way in international cricket. What was that emotion that you went through when you saw your kind of name come up at auction and you realised it was going to go? to the IPL for the first time and then again back in 2020, I guess? Um, I was actually asleep because yeah, I didn't think I was going to get picked up. You know, I was one of those like, you sort of watched early in the auction and I, Trent Ball, I think the first time I went, he got picked up for some big wedge and, you know, all the lads were like, you know, well done, mate, kind of thing. And I was just like, there's no chance I'm getting picked up here. 
Um, and then I was asleep, well, borderline asleep, and I sort of got a phone call from one of my mates, Kelly, and he was like, mate, 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 first round's on you, first round's on you kind of thing. And you're like, wow, this is pretty amazing. And then Stephen Fleming was my coach, and he gave me a bell the next day. And, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a weird, I feel like a little bit of, a bit of like cattle, I guess, getting bit, bit on for a competition, but pretty epic. And I think I always watch the IPL uh, and would stay out for games get up early to watch them and it was always one of those tournaments where I was like wow that just seems like one of the coolest things ever and so it was always a goal I guess to go there and play and fortunately I've been able to go twice and hopefully a few more times. Lucky we've talked a lot about the cricket that's obviously coming up how difficult is it to set goals when you've kind of got this uncertainty with COVID have you had to change the way that you're thinking about what's coming up for yourself in the near future? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Even the goals thing for me personally has sort of changed over the years where I sort of set set these big goals and that didn't sort of work for me in, in my mentality. You know, I'd set like targets that I wanted to, you know, reach this amount of wickets or play this many games and I would sort of get overwhelmed and frustrated. So I very much brought my sort of thinking and career back to game by game. And of course, in the back of my mind, I'm always working to a goal of, you know, trying to get to a World Cup or trying to win a World Cup. And of course, those things you're always working towards. But I think for me personally, the game by game thing has been, you know, so fantastic because I don't think about anything else. All I'm focused on is this next game, this next moment, this period of play in the match where I might be able to make a difference. And that's actually made it a lot more simple for me because when I'm working towards the next game, that's all I'm focusing on. I'm not who we're playing next. Uh, and so I, I certainly feel like that's going to help me um, in this next sort of period, I guess, with COVID and not really sure exactly what will happen with it. But um, all I can do is try to prepare for the next game and when I think it might be. And if it gets pushed back, then sweet, I'll just roll with that. But yeah, a big, big part of my game is, and my mentality has just been to focus on um, what's the next game and what's the next challenge ahead. Well, look, I think we could probably all um, empathise with that at the moment, um, with the situation that's that's going on. So, look, I think that's a really um, good place to start wrapping things up. But before we do, we have a little bit of a quick fire round at the end of the pod. Obviously, yeah. a lot more spells to come from you. But first and foremost, what's your favourite spell you've bowled thus far, do you think? Uh, the first one that comes to mind was at Swords against Aussie when I got Steve Smith and Dave Warner out. That was probably my favourite spell. Uh, my parents were there to watch that game too at Lords, which is pretty epic. Well, two, two pretty good, uh, pretty good scalps. Who was your your first cricketing hero? Who were you? Who did you emulate in the backyard? Ah, oh, Bondi. Yeah, Bondi was a big one growing up, as you can probably tell a little bit. But yeah, what a legend. And. Leading into these kind of COVID situations, you might find yourself in a, a hotel at a ground somewhere with a, a, a balcony roommate. Who would be the person you'd want next door to you? <laughs> uh, probably my brother. My brother, if anyone. Um, but does it need to be a cricketer? Well, the, the, the cr- cricketers are in the bubble, aren't they? Your, your brother might be on the outer bubble. So, yeah, who, who would you have from your, from your teammates? Probably be uh, Mitch Satner or probably Jimmy Nish. 
Right, yeah. So Mitch Shantner one side and Jimmy Nation the other. We'll we'll um we'll ask this question and we we hope to get a good response to this. Um, okay. Best sledge. What have you what have you heard on the field? Any anything that springs to mind, whether it's a club game, an international game, or or something else? Uh, I've got a few that are probably pretty inappropriate. But honestly, it happens less now. Eh? It really does. I don't know whether it's stump mics or domestic cricket. Everyone's sort of too matey, maybe. Maybe you guys should give me some prep. I could have probably thought of. I can't think of one right now. You're, you're putting me on the spot too much. No worries. Well, look, you can you can uh, throw the story into the uh, the Instagram feed when we put the episode up. Give us a. Uh, yeah, give us it in 140 yeah, yeah. characters or less. And um, if yeah. we if we could guarantee you one achievement before your career is over, what would you ask for now? Uh, I woke up. Well, look, that's a, an awesome an awesome place uh, to leave. I know we all watched the World Cup final in the in the same room, and um, yeah, all in tears for slightly different reasons. Baldy because he was Australian, <laughs> so he, so he was already on the plane home. Um, <laughs> myself as a proud Englishman and, and Lippy and, and Raj as Kiwis were yeah we all couldn't speak for a period of time but certainly the tournament gave us all a great deal of joy through that uh, that that magic summer of, of 2019 but Lockie thanks so much for coming on the podcast uh, we appreciate your time wish you all the best getting out of your bubble and hopefully getting over to the IPL and for the New Zealand summer ahead as well um, but yeah, big thanks from all of us for, for popping on the Tough Water podcast. No, I appreciate it. Cheers, guys. Thanks for that.